We're going to continue our series focusing in on the reason for the season. One of the things that I really appreciate about this time of year is the, the practice of gift giving. I enjoy it, but, but I, I also know it's stressful as well. It's delightful and pleasant, but also stressful as well. You know, many of us, I'm sure we've all been at a Christmas where we've experienced that, that gift that you didn't want, or maybe you were the one who gave the gift that somebody else didn't want. And I just did a little research. According to Finder.com, Americans were expected to spend about $15.2 billion on unwanted Christmas gifts every year. $15.2 billion. Uh, some 61% of Americans surveyed admit to getting at least one unwanted gift over the holidays, totaling roughly 154 million American adults. A couple of those gifts that are unwanted, there's a, there's a breakdown list here. Clothing, accessories, 34%. You don't want those socks, the belt, the underwear, the scarf, the hat, you know, okay, that's 34%. Uh, household items, some uh, toilet cleaner, uh, some, some, you know, natural uh, kitchen cleaner, you know, what, whatever you want to wrap up and, and give as a gift. Um, cosmetic and fragrances, colognes, perfumes, uh, deodorant for that, that relative that could use it. Um, food and drink, you know, uh, wrapping up a, a bottle of wine or uh, some coffee or uh, some kind of food, some cheese or some sausage. Now, some, some of y'all are like, yeah, I like those. Give me those, right? Uh, technology is, is 9%. Music, literature, 7%, 8%. And so there's a number of, of undesirable uh, gifts. Some of the most returned gifts uh, during Christmas time after Christmas are board games, toiletries and fragrances, celebrity cookbooks, Slippers, autobiographies, Christmas sweaters, fitness DVDs. That was, I thought my wife and I laughed at that one. That's funny. Now I'm not going to use this for January. I don't need that. Uh, and then selfie sticks are, are, are another one. The worst gift, according to Consumer Report magazine, is hard liquor. Uh, it's the most unwanted gift. Now, the, the, a popular gift, a safe way to go to approach this is uh, to just get gift cards. Just get gift cards. Just bring gift cards and hand out those gifts, and those things are like candy, right? Everybody will take a gift card from you, right? And so during Christmas season, it's, it's pleasant for me to see people just giving, people who don't, maybe don't normally give during, during the year. They're a little bit more generous. You know, and, and then and we all just get the joy of experiencing this giving and receiving during Christmas time. Now, oftentimes the gift giving aspect clouds out the, the real meaning for the season, the reason for the season. We get distracted by the materialism of the season. But Christmas carries with it the spirit of generosity. Okay? And so it's fitting for, for people to want to give gifts during this season because ultimately, ultimately what we are celebrating and remembering is the greatest gift ever given to humanity. The gift of God's Son. 
the gift of the baby in a manger wrapped in swaddling cloths. The God who became flesh, the Son of God who, who took on flesh and He dwelt among us, the One who's full of grace and full of truth. And so this morning, we're going to focus in on knowing the grace of our Lord Jesus. This, uh, this verse that we're going to look at, I believe, captures the heart, the spirit, and the meaning of Christmas, what Christmas is about. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Okay, this, this sermon is going to be a little bit different than our normal messages. Typically, we pick a section of Scripture and we just camp out in it, but this, this is going to be a little bit more topical, and I, I can't think of a better topic uh, one of the best topics for us to focus in on this morning is the topic of God's grace because it's laced throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament. Okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you through His poverty might become rich. And all God's people said, Amen. So here's our big idea here. Knowing the grace of Jesus has transforming effects upon our lives. Knowing the grace of our Lord Jesus, the grace of Jesus has transforming effects upon our lives. Here at City Church, a part of our vision is to know Jesus, to know Him intimately, to know Him accurately. And one of the important characteristics of Jesus is the reality that He's full of grace. He's full of grace and He's full of truth. John chapter 1, verse 14. Our Lord brought grace to you and I at the Incarnation. He brought, he brought grace to humanity and He displayed His amazing grace among us, for us, given to us through the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Even in the Old Testament, we see that this characterizes God. When God revealed His glory to Moses, when Moses is like, show me your glory, God shows up and He proclaims His name, causes His goodness to pass before Moses, and He proclaimed His name saying that I am the Lord gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Our God is a God of grace. And when you look at Jesus, you see the perfect image of God, the expression of God, fully God, took on flesh. The Son of God took on flesh and dwelt among us, fully God and fully man. And you see this beautiful expression of grace. In that Advent season, Christmas season, we remember that, we celebrate that, we reflect on that amazing reality. Before we uh, go for any further, I just want to ask you right now, what do you think God's disposition is towards you? Okay? When you think of God the Father, what's His disposition towards you? I mean, just close your eyes for a moment. If, if you were to see God's face, the Father's face, to see Jesus' face, if you were to see an, an expression on His countenance, what would what do you think in your heart, not just not just theologically in your head, 
What do you think in your heart is God's disposition for you? And what do you feel is in your heart uh, that, that God's disposition is towards you right now? Okay? Because if, it's, if, if you're imagining a disposition of grumpiness, you may not know the God of grace very intimately and accurately. Okay? If, if you're picturing somebody who's harsh and overbearing and impatient and unkind and stingy and just mad and sad and displeased with you all the time, then you may not be picturing our gracious Savior and you may not be picturing our gracious Father. Okay? And so here at City Church, we want to know Jesus. And particularly this morning, we're focusing in on knowing the grace of our Lord Jesus. Because this is an important aspect of who He is. And my first point is simply this. Knowing the grace of Jesus leads to generosity. Knowing the grace of Jesus leads to a life of generosity. During the Christmas season, we celebrate the generosity of God. That God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. This really is the greatest gift ever. Okay? And there's one word, if I, were, if I had to choose one word to describe God's gift other than the name Jesus... If I had to choose one word to describe God's rescue in our lives and God's salvation in our lives, I would probably choose the word grace. I would probably say grace, amazing grace. When was the last time you were amazed by the grace of God in your life, by the generosity of God? I mean, this, this statement here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 is loaded with generosity. Jesus, Paul says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus. And so it not only points to the, the, the incarnation, okay? This not only points to the incarnation of Jesus and, and, and the, 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 the spirit of Christmas, but this also points to the meaning of Christmas. The why behind Jesus coming as a, as a human being into the world. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus. And then Paul goes on to explain it. Here's what it is. That though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor. So that you, through His poverty, might become rich. Okay. Now in this section in the book of Corinthians, the Apostle Paul was trying to encourage generosity, okay? And the, the, the Macedonian church had been generous. Out of their po- poverty, they had been generous. And, and, and the, the Corinthians uh, were giving. And, and, and so he's talking about giving and he's talking about, he uses the word grace a lot here. And, it, and, it, and in all, it's the, the source of it is from God, okay? But, but it's practical outworking in the lives of Christians comes out through generosity, the grace of giving, and I'm not just talking about money here. I, and Paul's not just, just merely talking about money here. Or, or, and, and, and God doesn't want us to just focus on that. But, but giving of our time. Giving of our gifts. Giving of our lives to others. Okay? Knowing the grace of Jesus. Knowing how generous and gracious and kind He's been to us. And rescuing us. Leads us to a life of generosity. Notice how 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8, Paul uses 
grace. He says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that all sufficiency, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. One of the good works that he talks about in these, this section is the good work of giving. Giving towards others who are in need. Now, before anybody throws any stones this morning and, 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 and comes to the wrong conclusion about this idea of Jesus becoming poor so that we can become rich, let me just say that we don't align with what's called the prosperity gospel. We don't align ourselves with this idea that if you're really following Jesus as a true Christian, you're going to be materially, materially prosperous. And God wants you to have lots of stuff while you're here. Okay? Now that, that can lead to materialism and greed. And God does not want us to be greedy and He does not want us to love money because it's the root of all evil. Alright? And there's plenty of Christians who really love God and are right in the center of God's will. And they don't have a lot of stuff. But, they, but the rich, they've been made rich you don't have to have a lot of stuff to be rich. Okay? Actually, many people who have a lot of stuff in this life are poor. They're poor relationally. They're poor spiritually. They're poor emotionally and mentally. There's, there's, poor, there's, there's lack of wholeness and health within their own hearts. We know many people who've made it to a pinnacle of, quote, success and have lots of stuff and, and, and have the question at the top of all that, is this all there is? Right? I just want a little bit more. A little bit more will satisfy. The grace of Jesus leads us to live a life of generosity. J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, says this, uh, specifically referring to uh, some of these, this verse here. He says, for the Christmas spirit is the spirit of those who, like their master, live their whole lives on the principle of making themselves poor, spending and being spent to enrich their fellow humans, giving time, trouble, care, and concern to do good to others, not just their own friends, in whatever way there seems need. This is a, this is a great quote here. This is the spirit of Christmas. This is, and, and I love this about Christmas because we see more generosity typically during this time of year. It's a beautiful thing, right? And those of us who are Christians who've experienced the grace of God, it, it's the, the, the reasonable effect of God's grace working in our lives that we be generous towards others. Now, let me just say this, that Paul's already told the Christians in Ephesians chapter 1 that God has made us rich. And you know how He's made us rich? He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1. And he lists out some of the, the riches of God's grace that we have in Christ Jesus. Redemption. Adoption. Election. God chose us. Forgiveness of sins. And he lists out these riches of God's grace that God has brought to us through Jesus. Jesus left, laid aside the glories of heaven. And he humbled himself. And he came to this world. He became poor, as Paul said, so that our lives would be enriched with the, the grace that he gives. He's full of grace. 
J.I. Packer goes on and he says, The Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity. Hope of pardon. Hope of peace with God. Hope of glory. Because at the Father's will, Jesus Christ became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later, He might hang on a cross. Now that is worth tweeting. That is worth posting and sharing with your friends. Here's the the message of Christmas. And what a great opportunity, what a great time of year do we have to tell people the true meaning of Christmas. To explain the story of the Gospel. To explain how, how God has given His Son for us. And so, before we continue further, I think it would be helpful to define grace. Okay, The word grace in Greek is charis. Okay, my, my wife and I, before we got married, we had planned, if we ever have a daughter, we want to name our daughter Charis, Charis, and, and we did. And so there was no debate about our second child's name. She was going to be named Grace, and God decided that, right? And <clears throat> Grace is such a loaded word, and it's used throughout the Bible, and it's used in more than just one way, Okay. One of the ways that most people understand grace uh, is to be undeserved favor. So a gift that's freely given, favor that's given to you and you don't deserve it. Okay. Now last week we talked about Mary. Grace was mentioned about Mary. The angel said, you found favor with God. Okay. God, God set His grace upon Mary. Mary was a recipient of grace, not the source of it. But she was a recipient of God's grace and she needed rescue just as much as you and I need rescue by God's grace. And so God's grace is undeserved favor. In Romans chapter 3 verse 24, the Apostle Paul says that we're, we're justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 5.15 But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. At the end of this chapter, he says, where sin abounds, grace does abound much more. There's probably somebody here who thinks that their sin is so bad. Maybe somebody watching. Your sin is so bad that God could never forgive you of all the things that you've done. But let me just tell you, the grace of God is greater than all your sin. The grace of God is greater than all your sin. And where sin abounds, grace does abound much more. It's amazing grace. It's grace that brings pardon to us. Forgiveness, not just pardon and not just forgiveness, but also power and freedom from sin's dominion in our lives. Wayne Grudem in his wonderful work, uh, Systematic Theology, says that God's grace is God's favor freely given to those who do not deserve this favor. In the New Testament, not only the forgiveness of sins, but also the entire living of the Christian life can be seen as a result from God's continuous bestowal of grace. Grace. Can you all just say amazing grace with me? Amazing grace. A.W. Tozer said grace is that which brings into favor one justly in disfavor. That's right. 
Grace is that in God which brings into favor one justly in disfavor. He also said, by the way, what comes to your mind when you think about God, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So it's important when you think, as we were reflecting on what's, what's God's thoughts towards us, what's his disposition towards us right now, that's important. That matters. Because it, it reflects our relationship and how well we really know him or don't. And so the word grace also, uh, the strong describes grace as the merciful kindness by which God, exerting his holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ, keeps them, strengthens them, increases in them in Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles them to exercise, to the exercise of the Christian virtues, capacity and ability due to the grace of God. In the aid or succor of divine grace. John Piper, uh, in his uh, Ask Pastor John, which is a great podcast, if you've got rough theological questions to wrestle with, he takes ten minutes to explain grace. And in that little podcast, he says, God's grace is both the inclination of the divine heart to treat us better than we deserve and is the extension of that inclination in practical help. Okay? My, y'all, y'all still tracking with me? Do we, do we know what grace is? Right? I think many of us maybe struggle with really understanding what is grace because it's used in various different ways in the Bible. One of the, one of the ways we see it used in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is, is as this power. This is strengthening power. Okay, Paul had this thorn in his flesh. He was struggling. Okay, and so he went to the Lord in prayer. He pleaded with God, God, take this pain away. Take this thorn away. Right? And, and you know what Jesus' response was? Right here. He, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Okay, so knowing the grace of Jesus gives us strength to do His will, to persevere through the most difficult times in our lives. Now, this is important, because we're still in 2020. And this has been a tough year. We're not only in Christmas time, uh, we're, which is a tough time for many, but we're in Christmas season in 2020 where many have experienced sickness and financial loss and death in their families and discouragement and mental health struggles. And there's been a lot of darkness, a lot of depression, a lot of despair happening in this year in the lives of so many people. And this message right here is so relevant to you and I who are still tracking through this year at Christmas time. Knowing the grace of Jesus gives us strength to do His will. It sustains us. It's sufficient for us. And the Lord brings me back to this over and over again. When, when I feel weak, when I feel insufficient in and of myself, and I am, I am. Without the Lord, I don't have what it takes to do what He's called me to do. But with Him, in relationship with Him, and me dependent upon His grace, He gives you and I what we need to be who He's called us to be and to do what He's called us to do. Okay, notice what Paul says, how he describes grace in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. 
as he's defending the gospel of grace, particularly the resurrection uh, in 1 Corinthians 15. In the midst of defending the resurrection, he has this powerful statement about God's grace. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. This is powerful. I've heard one one pastor describe, based on this verse here, describe grace as the empowering presence of God, enabling us to be who God's called us to be and do what God has called us to do. It's not just, grace is not just undeserved favor and pardon, but it's power. It's power to be who God's called us to be. His children, Christians, followers of Jesus, light in the darkness, salt of the earth, to be who He's called us to be and to do what He's called us to do. Make disciples, proclaim the gospel, love your neighbor, do good to all Honor God, glorify God in everything, whether you eat and whether you drink. And it's the grace of God that leads us to live lives like this. Thomas Brooks says, Grace and glory differ very little. One is the seed and the other is the flower. Grace is glory militant. Glory is grace triumphant. Amazing grace. First Peter. Peter experienced grace. After he had walked with Jesus three years and denied Jesus three times. And he was, he was uh, resolved that he was, he was convinced and resolved that he was going to be with Jesus all the way. If they were all the way to death, do, do them part. Right? And he, he chickened out. He chickened out when he's sitting around, he's standing around a fire and a, a, a servant girl says, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? And he just, he starts swearing and just saying, I don't know him. All right. And he uses some bad language in that. And he must have felt ashamed and discouraged by his failure. He must have been surprised by his failure because he thought he was going all the way with Jesus. But Jesus wasn't surprised by his failure. And Jesus had amazing grace to restore him. To strengthen him. To receive him back after he fell hard denying Jesus. I mean, Peter's like one of the top three. Peter, James, and John. Like he was, he wrote first and second Peter, right? He was uh, at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out and God was moving and this new Jesus movement started after the Holy Spirit was poured out. Peter was the spokesman, right? Okay? God's grace was sufficient for Peter for restoration, Jesus, when, when Peter came to him after he was, Jesus was resurrected from the dead, Jesus wasn't like, Peter, come on, man. He wasn't ready to chew him out. He wasn't ready, he wasn't ready to condemn Peter. He, first of all, he wasn't surprised by his failure. Jesus had breakfast ready for him. Come on, Peter. And he asked him, you know what he asked him? He said, do you love me? Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And so the important thing there was, was this love relationship that, that Peter had been invited into by grace and, and was being kept by by grace. And so Peter, who wrote First Peter, he, he, he coins this term. I think he's the only one that uses this term particularly in the New Testament, in the Bible. 
He, he calls God the God of all grace. And he, this is what he says to a suffering church going through intense persecution. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now here's somebody who's writing under the inspiration of the Spirit, but also somebody who's writing, writing from experience. One who experienced as the recipient of God's amazing grace, being restored, confirmed, strengthened, established. And he says, God will do this for you. May God do this for you. Amen. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Uh, John Newton, who wrote the hymn, the the well-known and loved hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, understood and knew the grace of God. Okay, he said, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. You see, John Newton also said, I know two things. I'm a great sinner and I have a great savior. God's grace was amazing to him and his life because he knew how sinful and broken he was. He knew how undeserving he was of God's favor and free gift of salvation, acceptance, redemption, and all the riches of grace. And those who recognize their sinfulness, those who recognize their undeserving position, are those who really know the depth of God's grace. I think many people struggle to know what grace is and and really experience it and know God's heart because they don't know the depth of their sinfulness or or they don't know that they know the depth of their sinfulness, but they don't know God's heart towards them yet. Now, this is something as a new Christian I struggled with. I leaned more towards law early on in my walk with the Lord. I love the law. I use the law in evangelism. I understand I'm saved by grace. Through faith. But I realize there's a lot of people who misuse God's grace. And in the name of grace live sinful lives. And, and I challenge, I challenge the walk with the Lord. And, and, and I had a, I had some sharp edges in my life that needed to be smoothened and softened. Some areas in my heart, my life, my attitudes and actions that, that needed to be soaked in the gospel of grace. A disposition that maybe wasn't as kind and gracious as I, as I should have been. And God broke me down. God humbled me through my own failures and my own struggles as a Christian. And my own experience of receiving God's grace for me and His heart for me. God humbled me and He broke me down. And He changed my disposition. See, when we soak our souls in the gospel like dirty dishes that need some cleaning... That have stuff that's been sitting on there for a while. When we soak our, our souls in the gospel of grace, okay, like warm, soapy water, it just begins to loosen up some of those crusty, grumpy, impatient attitudes that we have towards others. That's what the gospel of grace does. That's what knowing our Lord Jesus, the gracious one, does. It loosens up some of that stuff in our life because, one, we see God more clearly, His heart towards us, and then we're able to to transfer that and reflect that and, and show that to others. The same grace that we receive that we don't deserve. We're able to show that to others. To others. And this is what makes relationships work and thrive. 
If you don't have grace in relationships, they're not going to be healthy. They're not going to thrive. That goes, first of all, with our relationship with God. If, if you're still thinking you've got to earn everything to get in His favor, to be in His family, to be on His team, to, to be a part of what He's up to, uh, then, then you're going to be hitting the wall because of, of resistance. Because God, res- that's pride, that's self-righteousness, that's legalism. And God resists the proud. But He gives grace who, for those who position themselves in humility and acknowledge, I can't do this. I need you, God. I need your help. So that's how we experience grace, is by positioning ourselves in prayer, first of all. Hebrews 4, uh, 16 says, Because of what Jesus has done, and His sacrifice, Him, Hebrews 2, He took on flesh, He became our sympathetic high priest, He's made a way for us to go into the holiest place, to be there with God. We have a place at the Father's table, and we belong there. Because of Jesus, we're invited in, and we're invited to come with confidence, with boldness, not sheepishly, but with boldness, not with shame, not, not, not like, well, you know, I don't know if I should be here. No, you are supposed to be here, because Jesus has given you His grace, He's rescued you with His grace, so you come on in, and you get all the grace and all the mercy, all the fixings you need, and enjoy them, and laugh, and relax. And thank God for His gracious disposition towards you. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. The throne of grace. Our Lord sits on the throne of grace when we approach Him. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, mercy and grace are like twins almost. You know, they go, they go hand in hand, right? It, mer- the distinction has been described as this. Mercy is not getting what you deserve and grace is getting what you don't deserve. The good, the gift, the free gift, right? And so God gives us that and, and you and I have access to an endless resource of mercy and grace before His throne of grace. And we get that through our relationship with God in prayer. Drawing near in faith. Coming before Him with confidence, but also with, with humility. As I mentioned, James 4, 6 says, uh, But God gives more grace, therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's those who come with a humility, a dependence, a faith in the Lord that experience the grace of God. The, the one in, in, in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 18, I believe, where you know there's the Pharisee who's like, I ah, thank you, God, that I tithe. That's great. That's good for you. I, I fast. You know, I'm, I'm doing all these things, God. Thank you that I'm not like these other guys here. Right? And then this other sinner is just beating his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Here's a guy who trusted in himself that he was righteous. And here's a guy who is just dependent upon the mercy and the grace of God. And Jesus says, hey, you know which one walked away justified? Not the self-righteous one, but the, the one who was dependent upon mercy and grace. He got it. Okay? So knowing the grace of Jesus is necessary for salvation. This is one of the biggest barriers that, that, that religion presents to us. When, I, when I'm sharing the gospel with people on the streets and I'm trying to explain to them the good news, the gospel of grace, most people think that they're good enough to get to heaven. You know, I've never killed anybody. 
I've never committed adultery. I've never did this or that. I mean, I, you know, I do good. You know, I'm kind to people, right? And, and, and so many people think that they're good enough to get to heaven. And I, I must admit, too, there are plenty of people who are non-Christians that are doing great things out there. They, you know, they're giving, they're, they're caring for people, caring for the poor. There's, there's plenty of good stuff that's happening even through non-Christians, you know. And for Christians, that may discourage us if, if our salvation was based on works. <laughs> if we felt like we had to outwork uh, the Mormons, the, the, the Jehovah Witnesses, the Hindus, the Muslims, or uh, anybody else out there, right? But our, our salvation isn't based on works. It's based on grace. By grace through Faith, the grace offered to us in Jesus, by grace, by, by grace, you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Amazing grace. It really is amazing. And my prayer this morning is that, that there would be a grace awakening among us, that we would be amazed again at how gracious God is. How full of grace Jesus is. How full of grace the Father is. How full of grace the gospel of grace is. And that we would be changed to have a disposition of grace towards other people. Because we've experienced it radically. Knowing the grace of Jesus is necessary not only for salvation, but for godliness. Godly living. Titus 2 says, For for the grace of God has appeared. Okay, that's the advent. The word Advent means appearing or coming. Okay, that's what, we, that's what we focus in on Advent, the coming of Jesus. Okay, here's the Advent verse. The grace of God has appeared. And He appeared in a person. Jesus, who's full of grace and truth, He's appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in, this pre- in the present age. You see, those who really know the grace of God, this is how they live. It leads, knowing the grace of Jesus leads to godly living. It leads to godly character. It leads to being more like Jesus. So, to the degree that we know God's grace, the degree to which we show God's grace to others reflects the depth of grace we know of our Savior. The, the degree to which we show grace to others reflects the depth of grace we know of our Savior. So, knowing Jesus and His grace particularly leads us to be godly, like Him in our character, in our attitudes, in our actions. Okay, it changes us. Loosens up those grumpy attitudes and impatience. Because we're reminded, as, as Paul said in, in Colossians 3.13, that if anyone has a complaint against one another, you must forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Like, you're to treat others with that same grace that you've received. Treat others better than they deserved. Don't treat others just based on what they deserve. Alright? Don't just have a Santa Claus mentality. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. 
He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. This is a myth. And this is bad theology when it comes to our relationship with God. Because He's not just waiting for you to make a mistake so He can mark it down. Grace takes that list and throws it in the fire. Grace removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. And you're welcomed into the arms of the Father. And you're welcomed into the hands of the Savior. And it seems scandalous. It seems amazing. And it challenges our mindset when we think, I just got to earn it. It's got to do it. Or when we, when we expect somebody else to measure up this certain standard before we show kindness towards them. We hold them to the standard. Well, I, you did this, you did this, you said this, you didn't measure up here. You see, grace just it changes us from, from keeping a record of wrongs and, and holding those towards others because God has gotten rid of that for us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Grace is what the woman caught in the act of adultery found. Grace and mercy is what she found in Jesus. When, when she was brought before Jesus, and, a, and, and it looked like she was about to be stoned because the law of Moses demanded that somebody in such a situation would be stoned in, in death row for the, for the perpetrator. And Jesus writes something in the sand, and I don't know what he wrote in the sand. Some think there's, there's different theories. Maybe he wrote the Ten Commandments, you know, whatever he wrote in the sand. And then he said, he who's without, for, without sin, let him cast the first stone. And the oldest to the youngest, they started leaving. It's like, I can't, I'm a sinner. I, can't, I, can't, I'm, I don't have the right to throw the stone. Jesus had the right to cast the stone, to, to execute death. The wages of sin is death. Okay, Jesus had the right to do that. But that wasn't his heart to condemn. He didn't come to condemn the world. He came to bring grace and mercy that through him the world might have life. Eternal life, forgiveness and redemption. Now Jesus didn't just say, hey, you keep sinning, my grace will be enough. He didn't say that. He could have. You know, it's okay. He said, go and sin no more. Jesus calls us. The grace of God is not a license to continue in a lifestyle of sin. It, it gives us pardon of our sins, but it also gives us power to live godly lives that reflect that we truly know the saving, redemptive work of grace. Amen? And so, in application, there's a few things that I want us to consider. First of all, be humbled and amazed by reflecting on the grace shown to you through Jesus. This Christmas season, think about God's, God's grace to rescue you and His heart, His gracious disposition towards you. He's not pointing the finger. He's not you know, looking over you with His list to check it twice. He gives grace to the naughty and the nice. It's undeserved favor. Be affirmed. And rest secure in your identity as God's child due to His grace. Be affirmed. Be humbled. The grace of God should humble the best of saints and give hope to the worst of sinners. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. He recognized that the basis of his identity as a child of God, as an apostle, as a follower of Jesus was grace, not his amazing theological knowledge or spiritual disciplines. 
He had an amazing resume. Though he did, you know, persecute the church and stuff, he also called himself the, the chief of sinners, right? But he found grace. He found mercy. So be affirmed and rest secure in your identity as God's child due to His grace. If you came into a relationship with Jesus Christ, trusting in His grace alone for salvation, then His grace alone is going to keep you in His salvation. You're His eternally. And if you've come into a genuine relationship with Jesus and you know His grace intimately and accurately, then it's going to lead to godly living. And if those effects aren't coming out in your life, there should be an examination. God, do I know you? Do I really know you? Because I want to. I want to know your heart towards me. And I want to respond with, with gratitude and surrender to you and, and with grace towards others. You see, the grace of God not only has an effect on our resources, leads us to generosity, it has, not only has an effect on how we respond to persecution, to trials, to really difficult times, because it sustains us and strengthens us through those times. God's grace is sufficient. His strength, His power is made perfect in our weakness. It fits perfect in your weakness. You got weakness? We all do. Bring your weakness to Jesus because it fits like a puzzle right in the relationship. And he, he, he puts His strength right in there so that He gets the glory and He gets the honor in doing wonderful things in your life. So there's nothing to boast about when it comes to the grace of God. We should be humbled by it. And we should praise God for His grace. Praise God that He chose us even before we had the ability to do any good or bad. Ephesians chapter 1. To the praise of His glorious grace. Praise. Just, just grateful worship and praise should be the response to God's grace. The woman in, in Luke 7. The sinful woman in Luke 7 who experienced amazing grace. She was forgiven much. Her sins were many. And she was forgiven. And she just poured out her savings on Jesus. She was forgiven much. She experienced the grace of forgiveness. Before the one who's full of grace and truth. And she loved much in response. She had love to give. And she was abandoned in her giving because she had experienced this radical grace from Jesus. Be encouraged and empowered by God's grace to reflect Christ in your attitudes and actions. See, God wants to work in and through your life to reflect the beautiful grace of His character, the characteristic of grace, that disposition of grace. And when you're tempted to be impatient and grumpy and, and hold a record of wrongs towards others, remember how much God has forgiven you. Remember how kind and patient God has been with you. Parents, we, we need to remember this with our children, don't we? Gosh, I mean, my, my, my family and I were watching a movie this, this week called Black Beauty. And one of the things that spoke to me about through that movie was how the horse trainer was dealing with the horse, okay? And, and the, the effective way in leading the horse. <laughs> it wasn't coming down with a heavy hand on that horse and breaking the horse's spirit. But it was, it was, it was this, this gentle, this training, this gracious disposition towards that horse. And I thought, man, my, my parenting... My parent needs to look more like that. The way I father my children needs to look more like that. 
coming alongside, coming to help, not coming down heavy handed. So be encouraged and empowered by God's grace to reflect Christ in your attitudes and actions. And then lastly, be be joyfully generous with your time, your gifts, your resources as God has been with you. This is one of our values here at City Church. Joyful generosity. And the reason we value this is because that's who God is. He's joyfully generous. He, he gives us freely His grace. And we should be like that towards others. This is how we apply the gospel and display the gospel in our relationships. And so God's grace <clears throat> empowers us not only to endure difficult times, to be generous, but it also enables us to show grace in relationships as well. And so let's close in prayer. Can we just examine ourselves before God? Can we just ask Him to search us? And ask Him to show us His grace. There's a verse in Colossians chapter 1. There's a, there's a verse in Colossians chapter 1 where Paul said that the Colossians, they were bearing fruit. The gospel was bearing fruit among them since the day they heard and they knew the grace of God and truth. The gospel was bearing fruit in and among them since they knew, they heard and they knew the grace of God and truth. Since the gospel of grace sunk in and it penetrated their hearts and their lives, started bearing fruit, changes, changes in their lives, and, and it was affecting others. And so let's pray for a grace awakening among us. Let's pray that God would move powerfully among us, that in this Christmas season, when we celebrate the, the time that, we, we, that, that grace came down, to bring rescue, to bring salvation. Let's, let's be moved by God's heart. And be empowered to be who He's called us to be and do what He's called us to do. Father, I pray for City Church Garland. And as we are here in the middle of December with lots going on, lots of, lots of things to focus on, Lots of responsibilities, lots of desires, lots of ways that we want to do good. We want to show love. We pray, Father, that you would lead us into your heart. That you would search us and show us the areas that you're wanting to cleanse, to change. May we humbly acknowledge, God, we need your grace. We need your grace in our relationships. We need your grace to be who you've called us to be and to do what you've called us to do. Apart from you, Lord, we can do nothing. And we just acknowledge that this morning. Our need for you, and we trust you that you give it of yourself to meet our need. And I pray that it, that wouldn't stop at us, that we wouldn't be cul-de-sacs with Your grace, that we would be conduits of Your grace. That it would just channel through our lives. That with our words, we would impart grace. With our actions and with our attitudes and our disposition toward one another, towards the disadvantaged. That we would be like the Good Samaritan who saw the need and responded. That we wouldn't be like the two other religious guys who just passed on by. 
May we love those around us during this season. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.